Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the star line by an author, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. He's written about wrongfully convicted men and his late brother-in-law, Don Knotts. His latest effort is King of the Blues on the late B.B. King. We welcome Daniel DeVise. Hey, it's an honor. Daniel, let's go beyond the mic. You've written articles that have won regional and national awards. Why did you think B.B. King's story was worth all this research? Well, you know, life is short, and the books I've done have all been about things that were passionate to me. Um, as, he, as you said, Don Knotts was my brother-in-law, and I, I did a book about his, his historic, historic friendship with Andy Griffith, um, and I've done a couple other books. But this one, you know, goes back to my childhood. I was in Chicago, and I saw a bunch of the great black blues guitarists you know, of that era, uh, like Otis Rush and Sun Seals and Buddy Guy. And I thought it would be cool to do a book, you know, kind of drawing, connecting the dots back from those great artists back to the, the source. And I see B.B. King as, as the source. Um, he created this beautiful sound of solo guitar that's kind of like a human voice, which I think is what became the pervasive guitar sound in kind of pop music really from like the late sixties on to the end of the uh, century. So I just wanted to kind of give him props for that and tell the story of how that journey happened. One of my biggest regrets was missing one of his last shows. The research you did for this book is hefty. What fact that you researched was the one that surprised you the most? Oh, well that's easy. You know, I, I of course I worshiped him as a guitar hero. Um, he was the inspiration for, you know, Clapton and Santana and Billy Gibbons and Jimmy Page and Buddy Guy and Albert King. All of my guitar heroes considered B.B. King to be kind of their ultimate guitar hero. So I knew that he was this incredibly important guitar, you know, guy uh, and, and kind of a musical genius and all that. But what I didn't know until I did the, I did the three or four years on this book is that in the first chapter or two of his career when he was recording as a black artist and really had no almost no white fans that he was celebrated primarily as a singer um so even if you put on like the the regal album the famous live at the regal he is introduced as ladies and gentlemen the the world's greatest blues singer (laughs) bb king and of course you know when you get to buddy guy and albert king listening to his music they're listening to the guitar as much, if not more, than the than the voice, right? Um, Clapton was more interested in in BB King's guitar licks. It's just focus shifted over the years as the guitar became more and more important, which is kind of BB's contribution. He kind of put the guitar front and center where it hadn't been. You know, there's not a lot of guitar in pop music in the '40s before BB King comes along. And the biggest impact was Maxwell Davis on BB King's career. <laughs> The great, great producer and arranger, um, Maxwell Davis, I think was out of Los Angeles. He was hired by the Bahari Brothers, who ran Modern Records, which is kind of kind of like a Chess Records or a Sun Records. It's an indie label out of L.A. And B.B. was probably their biggest star, I guess, uh, you know, if you look back in hindsight. And Maxwell Davis did these beautiful arrangements. Um, people forget that B.B. King many, many, many of his recordings are bigger than just sort of 12 bar blues. Um, he did songs that were, you know, very, very sophisticated in the way they were written and structured a bunch of different chords, a lot of different instruments, you know, big embellished arrangements. And this gets to what BB himself liked because he listened to the radio and listened to these big, you know, ensembles like Louis Jordan's ensemble, uh, Wynoni Harris's ensemble, Roy Brown's ensemble on the radio, and he styled his own combo after that. So it's not just pure blues. There's a lot of different ingredients 
in the mix. It was just a guitar, but what made Lucille and the way BB played her so powerful? Well, okay. So I think that there was like this, this kind of thread running through history of guitarists and they're not really well known now, but there was this guy, Lonnie Johnson in the twenties and thirties who maybe was the first prominent guitarist to play solos, if you will, it just wasn't done before then. And then you have Charlie Christian playing uh, with Benny Goodman in the late thirties. And then you have T-Bone Walker, who was a rarity, a guitar guy fronting a rhythm and blues combo, but these were just few and far between, but, but BB honed in on them and took their sound which was kind of like, you know, a, a lovely sort of solo guitar sound, but he took it a step further. His particular genius was deciding that he was going to play the guitar so that it sounded, resonated like a voice. And and that's why Lucille's so important, because he kind of gives human tra- human traits to his guitar. He says, well, it's not just the guitar, it's Lucille. And I'm going to sing, and then Lucille's going to sing. And it's, I'm oversimplifying, but basically he, he imbued his guitar with the qualities of a human voice. And that's the sound that became his signature sound. And they became, by the end of the 60s, like everyone's signature sound. I mean, so many of the pop guitarists from the Woodstock era on basically sound like B.B. King. It's that beautiful resonant that sort of sound. That's B.B. King's sound. Playing up the 300 shows a year, and yet most of his life, he was still broke. How did that affect the opportunities missed from being on the road. Oh gosh. You know, I, I think him staying on the road was more about, uh, I remember I'm, I'm trying to be his biographer. And so I think of all of his like essential traits and he really wanted to impress his father, his, his daddy, Albert King, not to be confused with the guitarist was a very hardworking alpha male wow. provider, right? Who, who was, who raised, you know, had a big family and supported them pretty handsomely for someone who'd been a sharecropper driving a tractor. B.B. King, his whole adult life, it was about trying to impress his father, prove to his father, I too can work very, very, very hard. I think he came to be sort of addicted to the road. I think he felt like it was his way of showing to Albert and to, to the world that he could work harder than anyone else in, in show business. And, you know, even if he weren't a musical genius, which I think he he was, he'd be remembered for doing, I think, by my count, 17,000 performances uh, from the beginning to the end. I mean, I don't think anyone else has come close to matching that number, at least among really prominent performers. I don't think anyone will. After B.B. passed, the blues continued as his family fought over the will. Yeah. The family, it's a little bit of a complicated... Well, of course, David Ritz, who did B.B.'s autobiography with him, would tell you that, you know, big pop stars, there's always kind of a messy probate battle when they die, right? Uh, and B.B., although though he lost a lot of money to gambling and stuff, he did have a, a fortune when he passed away. And there were 15 children, uh, and the people close to B.B. all told me when I interviewed them that they believed they were not biological children, more likely adopted. Uh, and the reason for that is B.B. King was told by a fertility doctor back in the 50s that he was, that he was infertile. So, uh, you know, probably adoptive children, but he loved them all the same. Uh, his mother had died when he was young. His grandmother had died. His little brother had died. He was basically an only child who felt sort of motherless and parentless. And so he spent his he spent his adult years while working very hard to sort of impress his father. He also was trying to build a family, basically to have this big family that he could you know assemble and sort of celebrate. And that's what he did up to his dying day and beyond. The book is King of the Blues on the late BB King. Daniel DeVizier is the author. It's time for the Rocky Nate, eight random questions. 
Answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. There is no pressure, Daniel. <laughs> Best place to think on the Northwestern campus. Uh, oh my gosh, probably by the lakefront. Yes or no, will the NCAA exist in 15 years? Uh, I used to cover higher education. I would say an emphatic yes. What do you and your friends do when you hang out? Watch horror movies on Zoom. We do that every week. I, I don't know why. My old high school friends from Lincoln Park High School, we get together and we do that. Do you have a favorite library? Hilled Regional. Are you neat or messy? Mm, compared to whom? <laughs> compared to a normal person. Uh, a little on the messy side. Best song you play as part of the Stepping Stones, your Monkeys cover band. Oh, God. Uh, I think, you know, we did a pretty darn good version of the Todd Rundgren song. The, um, you know, do, 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 um, open my eyes. What's the one place you haven't visited that you want to? Oh, wow. Uh, Rome, I think. Other than your Pulitzer, what's the most important award you've ever gotten? Oh, you know, 1991, I got the Reporter of the Year Award from the Boca Raton News in Florida. It was my first journalism award and convinced me that I could that I could do it because I didn't think I could. It's time for one big question with Daniel DeVizet beyond the mic. Daniel, why is unbiased reporting so important right now? <laughs> Um, because people are so polarized, you know, on the left and on the right, gosh, it's, it's so hard to be unbiased because everybody introduces their biases into, into their daily lives. And if you're a reporter, you can't not have some biases. The trick is to kind of be capable of rising above them and getting everybody's views into whatever you write and making them all sound like they want to sound, you know, that's, that's the, the justice you can do to the different sources you're writing about when you write a book or an article. You know, get them across the way they want to be portrayed. Now, what's your next project since you spent the last four years writing this comprehensive tome? <laughs> so glad you liked it. Um, my next book, actually, I hope will bring me back onto your show one day. I'm working on something that has to do with the Blues Brothers. B.B. King wanted to be out with the Blues Brothers, but he was out on tour. He was working, and he was busy. And, uh, yeah, it was one of his big regrets later on. He watches horror movies on Zoom with his friends and believes the NCAA <laughs> will exist in 15 years. His book, King of the Blues and the Late B.B. King, is available now. Daniel D. Vizet, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. <laughs>